Oh, man. I drink a lot of water when sitting here, so I made myself a giant thing of water. Oh, nice. Oh, you got the restaurant water bottle. Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I well, saw I mean, someone... I, us- I used it for, like, lemonade mostly when I was making a lot of lemonade. Right. Now it's just, they're just empty bottles that we occasionally use for cooking or for, in this case, sitting at my desk too long. Yeah. <laughs> I saw someone uh, with one of those on the bus once and I was like, wow, you're committing to the bit. I don't know what kind of hipsterism this is, but. Yeah, like... <laughs> that's not, it's cert- it's not the most portable. Like there's, there's no handle. If you drop no. it, it will shatter. Yes. But, I mean, to be fair, you could defend yourself with one of those if you had to. It's true. (laughs) Especially if it's full. This thing is heavy. Yeah. They weigh a lot. Just carrying the the new art of self-defense. What if you were carrying a bowling pin? Yeah. (laughs) It's the art of self-defense. tapes for $29.99 each. Self-defense for clowns. Yeah. Are you an idiot who doesn't understand how things work? And do you want to defend yourself? Oh, no, I meant literally clowns because they oh. have the gag bowling pins and stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. And bits. Clowns well, don't I mean, have any trouble defending themselves. They're expert bamboozlers. Well, and there's always like nine of them packed into those little cars. Yeah, they travel in groups for safety. Well, I thought, I thought. well, you know, they have those giant shoes. That's a perfect weapon, but you can't take them off. It gives away the illusion that they actually don't have large feet. Well, plus, like, I mean, it kind of ruins your ability to actually inflict violence on somebody if every time you hit them with the the, the shoe, it just squeaks at you. Like, <laughs> it's too goofy. You'd have to stop and start laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hey, that's the defense mechanism. No, seriously, disarm them with comedy. Yeah. That worked for me all through elementary school. Never got beat up. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, good good advice. Just be that's funny. Right. Just be funny. That's, yeah, it is good advice. All right. I suppose I should do an <laughs> intro to the episode now. Everybody, your number one labor podcast. My name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we are an entirely listener supported show. So thank you so much if you are supporting us on Patreon, which is a great place to hear all of our bonus content and listen to all of our overtime series. If you are not in the Discord already, hop in there. Uh, it's a great place to talk about the stuff you hear about on the show and see updates from us and everybody else in the community. If you're a patron and you don't have stickers yet, just message us on Patreon and we will get them to you right away. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can uh, drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think it will help. Yeah, so uh, we're going to start this week with a unfortunate follow-up. So we had talked... In our first episode of the 2023, about the push for a union at yet another studio at Activision Blizzard. This one, the just unfathomably appropriately named <laughs> uh, Proletariat Studios, mm-hmm. uh, where we, you know, they basically they were acquired by Activision Blizzard last year, and afterwards, the the workers at the studio came together and were like, "Well, we." don't really want to let Activision Blizzard ruin a good thing that we've built here at this small studio. So we need a union. 
And unfortunately, uh, while they, you know, had built up really high levels of support, the union busting that they faced, I think part of the issue here is that it took a, a tack that a lot of these workers were not expecting because, you know, reading the release that they put out after they withdrew their union petition, it, it really seemed clear that the workers were ready for maybe the Howard Schultz approach mm-hmm. of scorched earth, like full on maximum opposition, but maybe not the approach of the CEO taking the union drive as a personal attack and having a meeting with all the workers where they start crying. Yeah. The emotional appeal, the yeah. the manipulation of, you know, the, it's like, but we're a family. Why don't you, go, you see, so you don't trust me. And it's just like, no, yeah. <laughs> like if you, if you want people to trust you, don't be a boss. Well, and also, I mean, like I can appreciate that this was something that was unexpected and you get caught off guard by this, but I, I think it's important to remind people, like how many times have you cried because of what that manager, that boss has demanded of you? How right. many times have you cried because of a scheduling conflict that made it so that you couldn't go to something that was really important to you, you know? And it's like, you need to remember all of those times because like it, it, it can be tough to watch someone cry. It, it's really sure. hard. But uh, when they're bullshitting, <laughs> you need to be able to be like, all right, stop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, because, yeah, the basically, to summarize it, like, the, the workers, had got, they were all ready. They put out their union petition. They, hope, they had hoped the, work, the company mm-hmm. would voluntarily recognize them. That didn't happen. And then... These uh, they the company held this series of essentially captive audience meetings where, again, they took this tack rather than the standard uh, unions are the worst. And if you unionize, only bad things will happen. Instead, they gave it the the literal sob story of of just basically the CEO taking it as a personal attack on them and appealing to the workers like compassion to to not unionize and. Unfortunately, it seems like that had an effect on a decent number of the workers, which is why the uh, you know the organizing committee felt the need to withdraw their petition for the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think that there's this also kind of presented some unique challenges compared to some of the other studios that were trying to organize as well. Um, and I think that you know. Blizz, uh, Blizzard really took advantage of that because the other unions like at Albany and Raven Software were only QA testers, whereas this was kind of a studio-wide union. And so I I imagine that, you know, having everybody on message is just a tiny bit more difficult when organizing on such a uh, a wide group of people. But, you know, if anything, I don't, I don't know. It, it's just really tough in any situation, but... We do have a quote here from a software engineer, Dustin Yost, who said, uh, while we are withdrawing our union election petition today, I truly hope that management will prioritize the concerns that led us to organize. I still believe that a union is the best way for the workers in our industry to ensure our voices are being heard, end quote. And the things that they were fighting for were things like uh, securing the company's paid time off plan, 
uh, more flexible remote options. I mean, as a software company, I imagine that being in the studio itself is not always necessary. If it, you know, rarely ever, honestly, maybe that's just me not fully knowing the industry, but then they were also trying to secure health benefits and ensure transparency and diversity are top priorities of the company itself. And I think that, uh, that Dustin is right, that it's really only a union that could make sure that these things happen because really the company is going to cut what it wants to cut when it feels like it wants to cut them. And uh, unfortunately, they are going to have to go back to the drawing board and reorganize their union in order to regain their majority support. Yeah, I feel like there's a few paths forward here. Like, if they are really set on the wall-to-wall union, which I get, like, obviously Mm -hmm. that's the ideal situation you want. But it is definitely possible that some of the divisions that appeared here, some of the vacillation from, from some of the workers who had previously been out in support of the union, may partially be kind of due to that, the fact that it's... Because, you know, in with the QA unions, you are looking at purely the lowest paid, like, w- worst benefits mm-hmm. of anybody at the company. Now, when you start adding, like, software engineers to that, it's not that they are not also exploited. They absolutely are. You don't have to listen to any of the idiots on Twitter who are, get into stupid nitpicky arguments about who counts as a worker or not. Mm-hmm. That's dumb. But... When it does come to consciousness and how that develops as a worker, that does, you know, it's, it varies position to position and depending on, you know, people's backgrounds. So I definitely think that it's possible that perhaps the fact that they were trying to make this wall-to-wall union did contribute to making this sort of union-busting attack, specifically this sort of emotional appeal, more effective because you have workers in there who are potentially higher paid and perhaps identify a bit more with the company and therefore are more susceptible to these sorts of emotional manipulation. Uh, Now, that being said, that's not to say there's anything wrong or bad or strategically uh, unwise about organizing a wall-to-wall union, but it emphasizes the difficulties of doing that. And I think the importance when you're doing your inoculation with like fellow workers that you're organizing with, to not just focus on, you know, they're going to be really mean, they might try and fire, like, some lead organizers illegally, you know, all of the various kitchen sink, Littler Mendelssohn-style approach mm-hmm. that we're used to. But also, you have to prep people for this sort of manipulation. And so, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. It, maybe it turns out that the, the best path forward for them is to shrink the bargaining unit a bit and focus on the QA, or perhaps to see and wait if Activision Blizzard does get acquired by Microsoft, if that ends up going through, then trying to capitalize on the neutrality agreement. I think there's a few ways they can go forward, but I definitely don't think this is the last that we've heard of organizing at proletariat studios. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember not. I remember at, at my union, we actually did get a heads up that at one point, a manager did cry in front of the workers, <laughs> and we were told about that, and then our boss did cry in front of us, <laughs> and then we laughed at him. Good. Because I think like as powerfully disruptive as it can be to people to see somebody like just start crying that they didn't expect that to happen. I feel like just as you described, Lena, it can be just as ineffective if you know it's coming because then it just shows how fake it is. 
Yeah, and then it just feels like it's scripted. Um, yeah. Which it pretty much is. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the, the impression that I'm getting from these workers is that the struggle is definitely not over. I'm sure they're going to continue to have conversations and organize to move forward. And, uh, you know, speaking of uh, continued efforts in organizing, we're going to follow up as well with some Trader Joe's workers in Louisville who have won a union election, bringing them to the third union victory at the Trader Joe's chain. So they secured their third union victory at a store in Louisville with a vote of 48 to 36, which is pretty good. Not a landslide, but we still love to see it. Uh, they faced an intense union-busting campaign from the company. The store was flooded with anti-union propaganda disguised as, quote-unquote, facts about unions, saying things like, quote, a union can trade away things that you might want. I love that. I love where they're like, they're going to take away something. We don't know what yeah. it is. You don't know yeah. either. Think of a thing you like. It's gone. Like <laughs> Just pure innuendo. Absolutely yeah. nothing else. It's so <laughs> stupid. Uh, they 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 engaged in pretty much every fear tactic you think of. They included things like threatening worker flexibility, <laughs> a thing we all love, uh, <laughs> uh, could disappear with a CBA and claiming that Trader Joe's United was refusing to hear the opinions of workers who didn't want a union. The company also <laughs> illegally removed union materials from the break room. A classic. Uh, classic move and then this one this one really got me where the company pushed for members to vote they were like doing that like rock to vote kind of shit especially if they intended to vote no saying quote not voting is the same as voting yes <laughs> and I'm like that's rough <laughs> how could you do that to your employees i know you're a monster but still <laughs> Uh, the the union has also said that workers have been disciplined for wearing union buttons and the flyers attack the union because it quote refuses to accept other opinions including that there are a crew who do not want a union <laughs> that's the funniest one though it's like your organization refuses to acknowledge people who think it shouldn't exist <laughs> okay yeah how how come the union isn't also arguing that People shouldn't vote for the union. Yeah. (laughs) Why aren't you out here both sides thing, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just such nonsense, and it's uh, it's so stupid. But like, sometimes this shit's effective. So Mm -hmm. like, it's one of those things where I think people could see this, where you know you see not the biggest margin of victory, but I think we also have to keep this in context because remember, Trader Joe's has not been taking a neutral approach to this union organizing campaign, as John just described, but not just all this weird both sidesy bullshit they're doing in Louisville, but, you know, they closed a store in Manhattan purely to keep it from unionizing. They converted one, they basically, like, sold a store to another company Mm -hmm. (laughs) in order to keep it from unionizing. They have fired multiple union organizers for organizing. So, like, it's one of those things where you kind of have to look at the vote count and kind of graded on a curve because you have to understand like how hard Trader Joe's has been going against this union drive to push back and you know how heavily weighted in the company's favor the legal system is and so I still think that based on that the 4836 victory is still quite impressive yeah, yeah it's really good he- we also have this quote here from Connor Hovey, who uh, described the conditions that they work under pretty concisely by saying, Higher-ups have crafted this lovely image that they take care of us so well, but that isn't the case when benefits get slashed. 
uh, end quote, which he was referring to uh, unilateral benefit cuts to retirement, which the company did, as well as COVID protections, which was one of the original impetuses for um, organizing Trader Joe's United. Yeah. Well, and the union has not sat around on their hands in the face of this. They've done something really clever, which is just put together a document for worker organizers around the country called Trader Joe's Union Busting Campaign, a guide for the crew by the crew. And this document just provides refutations for the common claims used to attack the union at Trader Joe's locations across the country. And of course, since the company is using a relatively standardized nationwide union busting campaign designed by their consultants, because of course it would be expensive to tailor it to each individual store uh you can just tell the other employees like hey they're gonna say this you can just say this and the other employee will be like wow that makes sense and then they'll see it coming and that shit fucking works (laughs) yeah absolutely i love this move i think this is really really Mm -hmm. smart by trader joe's united like this is also i mean very similar to some of the uh, tactics that starbucks workers united has used to try and help folks that are organizing all around the country based on the experience of what they've dealt with from Starbucks. So yeah, this is great stuff. Like this is what every nationwide like union campaign should be doing. And I think the fact that, you know, you've got these like grassroots independent unions that are doing that. uh, I mean, frankly, I think kind of shows up some of the major unions sometimes who maybe Mm -hmm. are not quite as on the ball. I mean, I think it also really highlights how much uh, just workers in general in Louisville have been organizing Mm -hmm. because we've seen actually quite a few unions uh, who have successfully unionized in the area, including like the Heine Brothers Coffee, which we covered last year, uh, which had 18 different locations. I think 17 of them are unionized. Yeah. Yep. There's just one of them that for some reason isn't. Yeah, there's uh, uh, Sanergo's Coffee, uh, which had four stores, four Starbucks stores, uh, Pizza Lupo, the Louisville Courier Journal, Half Price Books, uh, Cisco, and the Louisville Public Defenders Union. I mean, each of these wins has helped build the momentum for the next, showing that Louisville organizers are just building a real working class movement within the city. Hell yeah, yeah. half-price books. I love half-price books. I want them all to be unionized. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, for real, that's like I've been you know, tweeting about that occasionally from our account because like I buy a lot of books from half-price uh-huh. books. And I, I yeah, exactly. I, I would love to know that all those stores are unionized. And yeah, I mean, this stretch of different stores across every different industry, there's so many different unions involved in this, like... I, this is some pretty incredible organizing that's been going on in Louisville. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it would make sense for us to, to highlight that because, yeah, like the, the Greater Louisville Central Labor Council put out this whole Twitter thread, and it's just like multiple tweets long of just like, here's just a list of all the places in the last year that have been organized by mm-hmm. workers in Louisville, and that's just an incredibly impressive track record. So, you know, hats off not only to these workers for bringing the third store into Trader Joe's United, but also continuing to build this, you know, really impressive labor movement that's growing in Louisville. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as long as we're talking about uh, long-standing and impressive Uh, efforts in the labor movement, we may as well talk about the transit workers in D.C., who we covered all the way back in episode 117. So that's like 25 weeks ago, uh, more than that. And uh, so we have a little bit of an update where three weeks ago on January 11th, bus drivers, mechanics and dispatchers with ATU Local 689 in Loudoun County, Virginia, one of the richest parts of the country in the D.C. suburbs, went on strike against the awful conditions forced on them by their employer. 
being the eighth labor action by Local 689 just in the last three years, which is like a lot of uh, stories we bring up on this show. We say something like their first strike in 40 years. Yeah. So this is wild. (laughs) Uh, And the core of the dispute that they're having lies with the use of private contractors to manage the quote unquote public bus system in the D.C. area. This transit system owned and uh, theoretically, um, what's the word? Uh, never mind. Theoretically managed by the Washington Metro Area Transportation, ostensibly, <laughs> ostensibly managed by the Washington Metro Area Transportation Authority, has cycled through a series of different contractors over the last 10 years as the capitalist government, which dominates the authority, seeks to get the cheapest operating contract possible and workers fight back to protect their wages and benefits. Yeah. So this this story, I got to say... It was definitely kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah, and it's it, the strike right now is relatively simple, but to really explain it, there's so much history here because uh, we covered a, as John mentioned, like back, I think this was back in August, we covered a strike by ATU Local 689. I think this strike would might have technically been in on the Maryland side of like the DMV area where this okay. is all happening because, you know, D.C. is sandwiched between... Uh, Virginia and Maryland. So yeah, it's um, a fake place. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that makes this so confusing is really just the way that the transit system in DC is is managed in air quotes by WMATA because of the fact that you know DC has this weird sort of self-governing, sort of governed by Congress situation where they don't really have democratic control of their city. Um it has part, that's a, like, a, I think a big part of why we have this problem because rather than WMATA, you know, running the public transit publicly, mm, interesting. <laughs> they have instead sent contracts out that are, no, 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 we can't run this. We would never be able to do that. We need a private company to do that. And so they've gone out and given, you know, these giant contracts to big multinational transit management companies, a lot of them from France for some reason. Um, to handle operating all of these systems. And that has led to a constant struggle between the workers at these various facilities in the transit system in DC and the penny pinching company that has been given the contract to manage it. Interesting. And, and a lot of the current struggle grows out of a big strike from three years ago where the ATU actually managed to force through the deprivatization of one of the main public bus garages in the DC area at Cinderbed road and forced the city to take it over and manage it directly after it had been managed or mismanaged by multinational transit company Transdev. Unfortunately, the system is also set up with piecemeal contracts. So there isn't just one like union contract covering Mm -hmm. all of these bus drivers. Like they may be ATU members, but at different facilities, they're contracted out to different subcontractors, which means there's different employers, which means different groups of folks in the same union have had to go on strike at different facilities. And that's why there has been eight maiden labor actions over the last three years. It's like they said, uh, we don't think we can manage this system directly. So uh, let's just mismanage it intensely <laughs> instead yeah. just to prove a point or something. 
Yeah. Well, and then speaking of, I mean, of proving points, I think that we often talk a little bit about, you know, the how the NLRB is not always on the worker's side. Uh, and we kind of have an example of that here, where in 2021, the county shifted around its contracts and merged its paratransit service, which is a basically a, a transportation service for disabled people. Uh, and it basically and it consolidated that into its like main bus transportation network and then handed that contract over to a company called Keolis. Well, Keolis then successfully petitioned the NLRB to force the union that existed there to go through an additional union election since the company had newly merged and therefore was a different company. Oh my god. A judge approved this, and even though the workers had already won a contract with Transdev, uh, their previous operator, it had forced them to include a clause saying that any successor company must recognize the union. Last year, Keolis brought in nearly $7 billion in revenue, yet now they claim they cannot afford to pay these workers, which uh, this came, this uh, forcing of them to re- uh, ratify their union came right at the end of their old union contract. And so in March 2022, they finally had their election and they won 71 to 2 with 118 eligible voters showing that the vote was completely unnecessary and just a company created road bump to slow down the union and give the company a little bit more leverage against the workers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when when they try to make unions like uh, basically reestablish themselves, the difference between a union that's just been sitting around kind of like comfortably not doing anything for a long time and a union that was involved in active organizing when you came mm-hmm. and tried to fuck them up. And when they hand back that 71 to 2 vote, I mean, <laughs> it really says a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so unsurprisingly, once Keolis got that rec- that uh, that ruling from the NLRB that they were allowed to basically have a blank slate as far as negotiating with the ATU. They of course immediately demanded a rollback of essentially Mm -hmm. every win that the workers had got in their hard fought contract with Transdev. They proposed no raises whatsoever in the contract. They proposed slashing guaranteed hours for workers from 38 hours a week to zero hours a week. Uh, and they proposed slashing the 401k match from 6% to 1%, uh, making the scam retirement that they were offering even shittier and scammier, and also proposed that making the workers pay a much larger share of their healthcare premiums. So it's really a big fuck you to the workers in this contract proposal from Keolis. And <laughs> also, of course, at the same time, jumped on the Amazon surveillance train of putting driver facing cameras in all of the buses to monitor the drivers, you know, ostensibly for safety and efficiency reasons. Mm -hmm. They tried to do that at my job shortly before I got hired and everyone threatened to quit. (laughs) Yeah, that's the move. (laughs) That is literally the move in response to that. And, uh, you know, so of course at the same time that they're screwing over the workers in these contract negotiations, when the workers actually, you know, reestablished their union and we're like, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> you didn't actually beat our union. Uh, immediately, Keolis went to Loudoun County and we're like, 
Oh, so we bid for this contract mm-hmm. thinking that you would just let us cancel that union contract. But since they didn't get rid of the union, we now can't afford to pay them at the contract rate that we bid you. So please give us more money. <laughs> yeah, well, and the union initially did be, they were they were like, hey, all right, so, you know, let's actually figure this out. They uh, tr- actually helped petition the uh county and got the company an additional four million in uh in what is it like a just a stipend of some sort in funding essentially like keolis had a contract with the city like we're gonna give us 120 million dollars or whatever and for the year and then we'll manage this this part of the transit service and then when the union because the union was so kind the company then said okay here's a great contract we're just gonna you know give in (laughs) and no not not at all they did they basically said all right now we have money and almost all of that money went directly to management I mean, where else would it go? This is a company that brought in $7 billion in revenue last year. They already had the money. They had it a hundred, a thousand times over. Like, Yeah, yeah. well, and the ATU workers uh, pointed out that since the start of the pandemic, they've been called heroes for working through it. But over 220 ATU members across the country have died as a result of the pandemic. And the company has profited and refuses to pay the workers a living wage. Uh, it's, I don't know. I, I'm not surprised. No one should be surprised, but it's still absolutely infuriating. Yeah, it's incredibly fucked. And so with all that as the background to this very complicated situation, which is only complicated because of privatization, if this mm-hmm. system was run normally and it was a public system, run publicly, the previous explanation would have been about two minutes long. <laughs> Maybe less. And they're actually, we probably wouldn't be having this story because these workers would probably be getting paid much better. Right. But like, anyway, so in response to Keolis's bullshit and refusal to meet anywhere close to a living wage, the workers walked off the job and went on strike on January 11th. And the company's response to this was, was rather than, you know, okay, they're serious. They've gone on strike. They mean business. All right, fine. Let's go to the negotiating table. We can give them a couple of these concessions and maybe we'll come up with some bribe or whatever, but let whatever, let's deal with this. Instead, their response was, all right, fine. You're going on strike. Here's our last, best, and final offer. That's all of, we're not going to negotiate with you. This is our contract. Take it or leave it. Wow. Real stepdad energy. i mean yeah kind of they're coming in replacing trans dev just trying to show that they you know they mean business Mm -hmm. lay down the law except unfortunately this isn't like your weird like cw show family drama (laughs) it's like an actual workplace to people's livelihoods (laughs) right and because of all of the labor unrest and i mean also just because the company's mismanagement uh they have not been able to complete all the routes that they had promised to do Mm -hmm. under the uh under the contract and so the union is now pushing for the company to be fined by the county for not providing the promised services and we have the atu international president john costa who said quote they're not supplying the service, and they should be getting fined for that. By the county not finding them, they're only helping them. And they're hurting us and the community that you're in by not putting pressure on them to get back to the table, end quote. Which, I mean, 
Keolis has still not come back to the table and is trying to hold out. Yeah, yeah. and it's just so funny that like the response from the county has been, well, what do you want us to do? This is a dispute between the company and the workers. What? What? What do we? What? what why are you talking to us? I'm sorry. <laughs> is there not a company that is currently in breach of contract with you? <laughs> like, do something. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the the management of Wamada is an absolute joke. Uh, it, and honestly, it seems like the only reason there even is a transit system in DC is because the ATU workers have forced it to continue to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. The union is demanding a contract that, you know, workers can actually live on, like increasing starting pay from $23 an hour to $26.40 immediately, rising to $28.55 by the end of the uh, two-year contract. And they want workers who have been with the company for four years or more to have their wage ceiling raised because right now they cap out at about $33 an hour and can't rise from there. They want that to increase to $40 an hour by July 2024. They also want Keolis to cover 85% of their health care premiums and increase the 401k match to 8% instead of the 5% the company is offering, which is not actually an offer because it's a 1% cut from the 6% match that the workers were getting under the previous contract with Transdev. Mm. Yeah, and then on top of that, the company was trying to bribe the workers to take the last best and final offer with a $2,000 ratification bonus, which is actually pretty low compared to other uh, ratification bribes that we've seen. And uh, and actually, I'm pretty sure that as of a day or so ago, that uh, has actually expired based on the agreement, because I think it was like the 28th or the 29th of January that uh, that was mm. even going to be offered. So at this point, the ratification bonus is off the table, which makes it even less likely that the union will give in to, to the company's uh, unreasonable demands. It's just such a silly figure. I mean, if you're making, let's say you ma- you get and make the $40 an hour that you're looking for, you get 2000 bucks in 50 hours of work. So that's a, that's a little over well, a week. It's pathetic. Like, yeah, and unless some people think that those wage demands by the union sound maybe a little high for bus drivers. First off, bus driver is an incredibly important role that mm-hmm. literally keeps cities going, and it's wicked hard. <laughs> yeah, and also bus drivers face an absolutely ridiculous amount of abuse. Mm-hmm. On the job, like that is, I like that's one of those jobs where I'm like, I could, oh, I could drive a big vehicle around, but it's like that's not the hard part of the job. It's everything else. And but also, additionally, in addition to all those reasons, bus drivers should be paid well. Loudoun County, Virginia, is one of the richest places in the country, and it mm-hmm. is one therefore one of the most expensive places in the country to live. Like so, basically, what the union is asking for is essentially that the starting wage for any bus driver should be the living wage for the region because essentially the the numbers they're asking for are what like the MIT's living wage calculator which is what right. I usually use for reference says is the living wage for somebody living on their own with no kids. So seems incredibly reasonable to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's literally where the most powerful people in the country congregate and a mm-hmm. lot of them live. So it's like yeah, every cost of living, property values, everything's going to be out of control. Mm-hmm. And so far, I mean, this has been uh, pretty unsuccessful and the union has not agreed to even hold a vote over the last best and final offer. 
and has decided instead to stand strong for their demands. We have a quote here from bus driver uh, Crystal Martin, who said, hoping negotiations resume so she can get back to work, quote, I don't have another partner to help me. I know how it is to hurt and be behind on your bills and not know where your next dollar is coming from, but I'm willing to stand with my fellow co-workers, which really highlights the level of solidarity that these workers have with one another and gives hope that they're demands will be given into by the company. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's really brave to to put everything on the line like that when you don't have anybody else to rely on. And I think it it just speaks to how important what these what these workers are struggling for is. Yeah. And so um I don't really have a good segue into the next story. I don't know that there is a good segue into this story. Uh so I guess Thankfully, there won't be too much detail on this, but content warning, because we're going to talk about violence by the police, um, including murder by the police. So um, just as a heads up for anybody listening to this story. So to skip this story, jump to minute 46. uh, This next story is coming out of a report in The Guardian from Michael Sonato and uh, unfortunately is well-themed to go along with Recent and never-ending events in the United States of the police just murdering people because they can. Um, So basically, what happened in this case, so this is uh, coming out of a meatpacking plant in Oklahoma. This is operated by a company called Seaboard Farms, which is one of the largest meat producers in the world. This is specifically a pork processing plant in uh, Guymon, Oklahoma, uh, because I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, it would be Guimon in French, but it's, uh, probably not French anyway. Uh, so at this pork processing plant on January 9th, management fired a worker whose name I genuinely tried to find the pronunciation for, but I literally couldn't. So I apologize if I screw this up. Uh, I think it's Chuelthap Mariar. Uh, He was a 26-year-old Sudanese refugee who had fled violence in his home country and settled in the United States, and he'd been working at the plant, and he was fired. No indication as to why. Uh, Unfortunately, there has... Michael Sonato's report is really like the one detailed look into this incident. There Mm -hmm. There really aren't any other investigations that I've seen into this, so he's... If he doesn't have the info, I don't know where it is, but... um, So he was fired... And his supervisor told him to leave. But when he went to go basically figure out how he was going to get his last paycheck, HR told him that he needed to finish his shift if he wanted to be paid for the day. So he went back to the floor as he was instructed by HR to finish his shift. And when he got back, he was confronted by the supervisor who told him again to leave and started following him around and harassing him even after the worker told him that, he wouldn't get paid if he didn't finish a shift and HR instructed him to come back. So in response, the supervisor called the fucking police. And that's where all of this goes wrong. I mean, even more wrong than already. So the cops showed up. And again, this is a meat processing plant. So there are knives and sharp objects and heavy equipment and harsh chemicals all over the place. This is not a place full of safety bumpers and like 
uh, and soft edges. It's, it's a, it is a harsh work environment involving dangerous tools. And so because he'd been told to finish his shift, Mariar was still at his station using his company issued band cutter, basically a small knife to operate his, his usual station at this port processing plant. And Upon arriving and finding him with a sharp object, the police treated this the way they treat everything and said that, oh, this is a threat to my life and claimed he was acting aggressively and shot him and killed him on the floor. Despite the fact that at no point did Mr. Marriar threaten them in any way whatsoever or do anything aggressive towards the police or towards anybody else. Uh, literally the, the only sign of anything is that he was agitated because he had been fired and had the cops called on him. And I would be agitated if I had been fired and had the cops called on me too. I can't think of anybody who wouldn't. And the reason I can say all this with, with very like certainty about what happened is that this incident was caught on video. And when you watch the video, you can see quite clearly that at no point does Mr. Mariar ever move threateningly towards anyone. He is simply, you know, standing by his workstation and the cops show up and they start screaming at him. And then he makes one small step nowhere near them and they just lit him up. And like, it's incredibly fucked up and I definitely don't rec. I mean, the, the, Sadly, on the scale of these things, on a relative basis, it's not the most graphic video, but I still don't recommend people watch it. But, like, I mean, there's a a quote here that I think just lays it out here. The worker who actually videotaped this, like, said it, and I think what the video completely bears out. He said, quote, they made him out to be a danger when they said he had a knife in his hand, when it wasn't. And that's wrong on so many levels, end quote. And, like... The, another worker told the Guardian after inter- who wanted to be anonymous for obvious reasons said that who was also on the floor at the time said, quote, they didn't have to bring the police in. The whole thing is unfair. He did not have to have his life taken away, end quote. And again, the only reason we even know anything about this, the only reason we even know this happened is because a worker was actually brave enough to stop and videotape what was going on and then share that with the press because the company did everything they fucking could to try and sweep this under the rug. Mm-hmm. They brought all of the work. First off, they told all the workers they couldn't go home, <laughs> that they had to stay there and finish out their shift after watching one of their coworkers be murdered in front of them. And they then brought in everybody, interrogated them, and tried to get them to sign incident reports that the company had already filled out with a narrative of events that was full of lies in order to try and cover up for the murder that the company had essentially commissioned by calling the police in the first place. Like, I mean, the, the, the worker who had videotaped the incident was then fired by the company when they found out that he'd videotaped it. And, and in, when he t- was interviewed by Michael Sonato, he said, quote, I worked in maintenance. All they had us do was cover the scene with plastic. And we proceeded to finish what was on the production line. This company fired me for recording the truth that they were trying to brush under the mat. They never asked me if I was okay. It was my first time seeing a guy get killed, and then I get fired. End quote. Yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine bearing witness to this. I can't imagine working 
the rest of my shift after seeing something like this happen. Um, and like this, this is sadly, you know, in a long line of how this company seaboard specifically and meatpacking plants more broadly mm-hmm. treat their workforces, which again are heavily, heavily racialized and, because it, so much of this work is foisted on the people with the least ability to protect themselves in this country. Uh, you know, some of the most oppressed people, again, it was a Sudanese refugee fled halfway around the world to escape violence and get shot at his fucking job. Like, I don't, there really isn't, there isn't anything to say really about this from a labor perspective, other than abolish the fucking police and the AFL-CIO need to stop being fucking cowards and kick the fucking police unions out of the Federation while they continue to fucking kill the rest of the people in your labor Federation. Like, they they made this whole fucking report about, oh, we're going to investigate the history of us working with police unions after 2020. And then they came out and didn't do shit. So, like... I'm not expecting that to change because of this incident, even though it should. But I, it's one of these things where, we, you know, it, 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 labor organizations, even when they have shitty leadership, are still workers' organizations. And so if, it falls on us to struggle within them. And part of that has to be a redoubled effort to talk with our fellow workers about why the police are not on our side and certainly are not workers and don't belong in our union federations. Yeah, and I think you know this is a perfect example of why. Yeah. Well, uh, the UFCW, uh, which represents workers at this plant, uh, has called for an investigation. Uh, Martin Ross, UFCW Local Two president, said, uh, "Quote." Mr. Mariar and his family come to this country to escape the violence and strife of Sudan. Settled in Gaiman, Oklahoma, and contribute to the economy of our country, and died senselessly on the shop floor. Chwelthap, his family, his community, and his fellow workers deserve justice. End quote. And, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely appalling. And, as Dan said, abolish the police, kick them out of the fucking unions. Like, uh, unacceptable this this is an the 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 situation that that workers find themselves in is i, I don't even know how, how to describe the absolute atrocity that this company or that this company well this company and this country is is pushing on workers and uh it's got to come to an end but i think at this point we can move on to the next story and, you know, solidarity with Chuelpthan and their family. And I hope that something comes of this. But in our next story, we're going to be talking about Tyson Foods and more uh, union busting in relation to, you know, their <laughs> continued shitty policies. So... Tyson Foods is one of the biggest meat monopolies in the United States and is notorious for dangerous work conditions. Recently found that an attempt at union busting at one of its uh, plants backfired. Uh, Recent 
worker outreach event sponsored by nonprofit group uh, Escucha Mi Voz, Iowa held an event uh, for workers at the Columbus Junction Tyson Meat Processing Plant distributing relief checks from the Federal Farm and Workers Farm and Food Workers Relief Grant Program. And after finding out that the nonprofit had partnered with UFCW Local 431 in the program and that some of uh, and that some workers have chosen to sign union cards, Tyson managers went on an all-out like rampage attacking the workers and their union. The company distributed a memo across all 1,400 workers at the plant in English and Spanish, claiming that workers were being pressured into signing cards and threatening to fire anyone who did. Wow. A classic illegal tactic. Illegal and also like giving away the game right away. You're like, don't do this. This scares us. And they're like, it does what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And... I do think it's also funny that, like, when you look at the language where, like, they clearly thought that they had cleverly skirted the legal bounds on, like, what what they're allowed to say to discourage a union versus, like, a threat about the union. Mm-hmm. Where in the memo, the manager, Brent McElroy, which if that's the most manager name I've perhaps ever heard, <laughs> uh, <laughs> said, quote, By signing this card, you are authorizing the union to speak for you regarding your wages, hours, and working conditions. And you are giving up your right to continue to work directly with me and all of your managers and supervisors here in Louisa County. Oh, uh, (laughs) getting a lot of flexibility out of the definition of the word work there. Yeah. And, and while I think he's, you know, what they're, they're trying to, half dance around is basically saying oh we weren't we weren't threatening their jobs we were just saying they weren't be well wouldn't be able to work directly with us they can't come to office hours anymore yeah even though you could also just as easily take that line to mean you are giving up your right to continue to work here right. at all exactly and the workers immediately not notice that and push back on it because and part of this is is that like a big part of the reason why Tyson freaked out here is they're like, a union is involved in this worker outreach program? No, we cannot have this happen. And and so the workers responded by pointing out that the UFCW is an official federal partner of this relief program and is supposed to be there. Um, and it's not as if the federal government is actually out there encouraging people to unionize. It certainly is not, um, despite what President Joe Biden, the strike breaker, says. Um and the Spanish-speaking workers specifically pushed back really hard, and, and I haven't seen the Spanish language, but it must have been a bit harsher because mm-hmm. this was really focused there, immediately asking why they were being told they would have to resign if they signed a union card. And they, they like, on a march on the boss, they demanded that the company stop making false claims about the union, saying things like they'd have to pay dues just for signing a card, and that managers would no longer be able to talk to them directly. And... <laughs> Also, wouldn't that be a perk if managers couldn't walk up and talk to you anymore? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I wish that that were the case. I mean, like, uh, so wait, you're telling me that if we start a union, you have to go sit in a room and then, like, not talk to us? I don't have to deal with you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so following this strong response, Tyson realized that they'd uh, overstepped their bounds a bit. 
And so they came out and with a little piece of contrition, like, we apologize, but there was a miscommunication in our translation. <laughs> Sorry if you were upset. I mean, I added that second part, but mm. that's basically what they were saying. But my favorite part, though, of their apology is that they felt the need to add on a little coda at the end uh, to say, where they said, quote, and the part I'm going to emphasize here with my voice, they actually typed in all caps. We are not afraid of the union, the UFCW local 431. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. It's the classic tweet. My I'm not scared of the union t-shirt has people asking a lot of questions already answered by my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing that popped into my head when I saw that. I'm like... You know, if you have to tell people that mm-hmm. you're not afraid of an organization, uh, are, are you not afraid of them? Have you ever been <laughs> asked the question, where is this coming from? Because <laughs> it's a very revealing question sometimes. Also, I love that they tried to say, like, we apologize that there was a miscommunication in our translation. Fuck you. The English was duplicitous as hell, too. It, you're a exactly. piece of shit. Go to hell. <laughs> Exactly. And and the thing is, of course the workers caught them on this because they work for Tyson, mm-hmm. who is one of the most exploitative companies in this country. Just to remind folks, uh, during like the first year of the COVID pandemic, meat processing workers faced some of the highest rates of death uh, and disease of any uh, of any industry. During And at this specific plant in the first year of the pandemic, half the workers got COVID and at least two died from contracting it at the plant. And nearby workers at a plant in Waterloo, Iowa, had sued the company for negligence due to its refusal to provide workers any protections against COVID. But an Iowa state judge dismissed the case, saying that the best they could hope for is workers' comp. Yeah, and that also, I mean, we can also remember when there were... uh managers at i think it was a a a food like a meat processing plant that were like betting on who was gonna get sick Mm -hmm. i don't know if it was tyson but that did happen as well Um, it was tyson it was it was tyson yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. so there there's that and then i mean one of the reasons why the judge probably felt very comfortable saying oh just go through workers comp is because uh, the government said that you cannot actually sue a company if you get sick at it from covid Oh, yeah. yeah. It, you know, for every worker protection they didn't give us during COVID, they handed out an employer protection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So good for these workers at Tyson for standing up to their boss and these stupid bullshit threats. But also, like, we need every meatpacking plant to be unionized and, like, militantly unionized because this is like one of those industries where i'm just like "Ah, the workers need to fucking take these over from the managers the managers are literally killing these people it's like horrific yeah yeah i mean if they're not also you know having children clean the killing floors Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. uh but to move to another uh you know criminal enterprise we have to follow up on amazon which we haven't followed up on in a bit uh, so we're going to do a quick roundup of stories that have happened recently in Amazon. First, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal that indicates that the company may finally see legal consequences to its for its policy of maintaining such an unsafe pace of work that the workers get twice the amount of injuries as other as in other warehouses. 
Unfortunately, these consequences are not due to concerns about health and safety of workers, but for the safety of the investments of the rich shareholders. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan is investigating potentially using a law passed in 1989 to allow suits to be brought against individuals and organizations whose conduct threatens investments. The argument is that Amazon concealed its horrible workplace safety record when it applied for credit to expand during the pandemic, and that constitutes fraud. Prosecutors have demanded that the company turn over documents covering internal communications about workplace safety and pace of work as it relates to submittals made by uh, made to financial institutions. Amazon is fighting these attempts, calling the demands for records unrealistic and calling the investigation extremely tenuous. I can't like, believe that they just had to get him on fraud. You know what's fraud is making a worker work in that environment and not paying them $150 an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, when I, I read this story, it was like, oh, Amazon's going to finally get in trouble for their, their horrible safety record. I'm like, oh, word? And I'm looking at him like, because that safety record may have put the investments of some people on the board of BlackRock at financial risk. And I'm just like, ah, this is the most American story of all time. Like these workers are getting brutalized. This will not stand. And I'm like, yes, good. And they're like, because that puts my profits at risk. No, fuck. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, unri- it's ridiculous that, that this is what it actually takes for the ruling class to care about workers is that uh, it might cost them money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is some bullshit. And so I'm just like, A, I don't expect it to actually go anywhere. And B, even if it did, all it's going to do is change like reporting requirements for Amazon to banks. It's not going to make them actually change anything about their practices because their hyper exploitative practices are the reasons those companies were willing to loan them the money in the first place because they saw it as a profit opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally just them arguing about, like, how much you need to turn up the exploitation lever at this exact moment. And they're like, oh, that's too far. And he's like, it's never far enough. <laughs> no, it's not even that. It's, 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 all it's arguing is that, hey, you didn't tell us that's where the exploitation lever was. When we loaned you money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're fine with it being there, but you need to tell us. Look, (laughs) let's be absolutely clear. I'm not mad that you destroyed people's lives. I'm mad that you lied to me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's so fucked. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then, you know, continuing on with the the stories of Amazon and them destroying people's lives, they have been continuing to fire organizers. The company... Uh, fired Daryl Richardson, one of the most vocal and prominent worker organizers at the R- for the RWDSU in Bessemer, uh, who was fired on Sunday, January 22nd, with no reason given. Richardson said that when he asked Amazon why he'd been fired, they told him it was due to disciplinary judgment for his conduct at work the previous day, a day in which he was not at work. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, that uh, that's a. I mean, usually they at least pick a day you're there. Yeah, to make up a fake reason to fire you. 
This like, is like the evil twin of, of that Friday thing where it's like, man, how do you get fired on your day off? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like I don't even know. I don't know. I don't even know. Like I can't imagine having that conversation like with HR. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you've been fired for disciplinary action. I'm like, well, for what? Well, you know, the other day when you were here, well, I wasn't here. Well, regardless, you're fired. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. But what if you were here? Wouldn't that be crazy? Anyway, you're <laughs> yeah. fired. Yeah. yeah. And while Amazon has put out its standard PR boilerplate message that they don't discuss the details of employee discipline and that every company has its own policies that workers must follow, and this is quite clearly uh, another case of illegal retaliation for organizing. Uh, And honestly, this also, to me, sounds like they have not even uh, told Daryl because Daryl would have told us, I mean, or at least told the public. So they're just not going to tell anyone. They're just like, nah, he's just fired. He's just, he's just fired. His his employment (laughs) status just did that. (laughs) <laughs> it's the the mo- like what this is an at will co- it's it's really it's mm-hmm. this is an at will country what are you going to do about it? yeah we like, made up a fake thing and we can do that it's like did you see that thing on twitter where the guy who was playing pickleball got a point against his team because he was split stepping too aggressively and like no. it, yeah it's definitely a real and not mean. made up sport yeah <laughs> <laughs> but anyways uh speaking of real and not made up england <laughs> uh, our last story if uh, only our... dan if only <laughs> hey we did the england removal bit last week but um our last little story in our amazon roundup here is that we just had the first major unionized strike at an amazon facility in the uk this past week where Amazon workers basically joined the massive strike wave that you know we've been covering that's been happening in the UK when on Wednesday January 25th hundreds of workers walked out of an Amazon facility in Coventry demanding a minimum wage of 15 pounds an hour and in so doing the workers at this facility described very similar conditions to what we've discussed about in the US, one worker told the Guardian, quote, it's stressful to be honest, because every manager, every leader, they are pushing you to do the targets. We only get half an hour for each break time. If you're two minutes late, they will ask, What have you been doing? End quote. Which like Whoa. The, oh. the, the the shittiest management style in the fucking world. That feels really <laughs> like weirdly personal. Like, what have what? you been doing? <laughs> working hard or hardly working because I'll fire you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't I, even I, sound friendly to me. It sounds like they're steepling their fingers and saying it from a shadowy corner yeah. of the room. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, and and I will say the 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 incident specifically that kicked off this strike is also incredibly similar to ones we've heard here in the U.S. Specifically, they said organizing really kicked into high gear at the facility in Coventry last year when the company offered workers a raise of fifty cents an hour. Disgusting. <laughs> Yeah, and so workers had that exact reaction. We're like, that's that's your raise offer? 50, 50p? Like, it, and so that prompted a lot of workers to really start taking the idea of unionizing seriously for the first time. And this is exactly what we've heard from workers here in the U.S. And currently, I got to say, somehow the pay at this place is worse than the pay at most U.S. Amazon facilities. They only start at 10 pounds 50 cents an hour which works out to 13 dollars an hour here in the u.s 
which wow. like with, I'm not used to seeing that. <laughs> and and with UK inflation where it's at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like that is an unlivable wage for workers over there. And so these workers are, 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 have started to unionize and they walked out on strike on Wednesday and they got a, I love this. They got, you know, transatlantic solidarity from the ALU who issued a statement in support of the strike saying, quote, the message is clear. Amazon workers across the world are not going to continue to sit around and let this company mistreat them. ALU supports Amazon workers going on strike at the Coventry warehouse, end quote. And, these workers have been organizing with the GMB union who say that they've organized about 25% of the workers at the site and had about 300 workers out on the picket lines on Wednesday. And that, that forced Amazon to bring managers down to the packing line, which is actually something they don't do that often. Cause like when we've talked about like one day walkouts, mm -hmm. they just do like a smoke screen thing where they're like, no, no, we didn't have to affect anything. Everything was fine. And they just lie about the, the outcome. They don't usually actually, as far as I, you know, we can tell from covering this, they don't usually make the managers actually work, but clearly by pulling 300 people off the line, uh, they had to, you know, break down that little that barrier that they've tried to build between supervisors and the workers and actually make them instead of walking around with a laptop yelling at workers and telling them th that they've been spending too much time off task, they're actually going to have to go see how hard it is to be an Amazon worker <laughs> on the floor for once. I love that too. Like make them do that a few too many times and they'll be out on the line with the workers soon. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. You're like one step away from the, you know, same thing that everybody else is going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is one of the rare cases where I'm like, I actually think the company using managers to scab is preferable from our perspective to them not doing it because I feel like the gains in consciousness that the supervisors stand to get from being forced to do the incredibly difficult job of an mm -hmm. Amazon worker is better than having, I don't know, a dozen people who will assuredly do an incredibly bad job that they're not used to, like having them not work. I don't think that's going to make that much of a difference for Amazon. So no, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and it's I funny to watch them struggle too, you know, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I doubt that these managers have hiring and firing power. So if anything, I mean, I doubt that the union is going to be organizing these managers, but technically they probably could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and who knows, even if the managers don't, you know, like defect to the union or whatever, as long as they're a little bit less friendly and a little bit less open to what management has to say after this, that's good. You know? Yeah. Even if their only reaction is... Amazon, you better meet some sort of demand of these workers because I don't want to do this yeah. job don't, anymore, don't even if that's me, it. Yeah, because manager, you know, comes from the ancient Greek, which means to not do work. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, man. But speaking of shitty managers. Yeah, this story is uh, is the embodiment of, of every shitty manager story that you've ever heard at mm -hmm. any food establishment. Yeah. So this is coming out of a really great piece in Labor Notes uh, from Luis Feliz Leon, who documented a really... It's funny. So, like, the situation at this workplace is terrible. Mm -hmm. But the response from the workers is incredibly inspiring. So it's kind of a good story anyway. So this is coming out of a restaurant, uh, I guess in air quotes, <laughs> which is basically a knockoff Hooters. It's uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
I guess this actually is a pretty big business, but in the East, at least in New England, I've never seen one. So this is a chain called Twin Peaks. Har har. Uh, a, 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 again, an, a Hooter style knockoff. Oh, I'm just in, now getting that. Yeah, yeah. It's not a reference to the incredibly cool David Lynch show. It's 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 just a joke. It's about boobs. Him. Yeah, it's a te- yeah. it's a tepid and boring middle school thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but so this is a location in Brentwood, Tennessee, where managers at this restaurant became so abusive that they have not only pushed the kitchen staff into striking against them, but they were so shitty they united the servers and the kitchen staff against them. <laughs> a very Hell difficult yeah. task. Yeah. I mean, I've said a few times on this show, front of house and back of house solidarity can be difficult, but it's really, really important. <laughs> yeah. So kitchen staff at the restaurant say that the manager, Andrew Kirkpatrick, which I will just say, this is another thing. We can look at the class and race relations in, mm-hmm. in, in capitalism because, you know, the wait staff at this place are entirely young women. And the kitchen staff are pretty much all, uh, like, either migrant workers or, or just Spanish-speaking men, whereas the manager is a white dude. Yeah, his name so, is Andrew Kirkpatrick. <laughs> yeah. He sounds like he He's, runs a bank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's probably about as pasty as me. And like this guy has been treating the kitchen staff at this place in such a racist manner that it has really made their jobs unbearable. One worker, Ricardo Juarez, who is a cook at the at the restaurant and has been there for 8 years, said that Kirkpatrick when he was brought in to be the manager forbade workers to eat lunch before 10 p.m. to avoid anyone taking a break when there might have been any customers in the store. Workers can and manage their own fucking breaks. I'm sorry. <laughs> they yeah. This is ridiculous. Well, and it's like a physically demanding job, whether you're in the kitchen or in the front of house. It's like, you know when you need to eat. And like, mm-hmm. what if you're diabetic? What if you have hypoglycemia? What if you get dizzy if you don't eat for two or three hours? Like, people have medical conditions and stuff, too. Well, And, and, it- and also... The workers will just tell each other mm-hmm. when they go on break. There's not really a risk of your whole kitchen staff going on break in the middle of a rush. Like, that's not a real thing. It, it is kind of crazy that managers don't understand that employees know how to talk to each other <laughs> yeah. with, with words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I- incredibly condescending. But it, is said, it was said in the article that workers who took their lunch earlier had their food stolen and thrown away. And mm-hmm. one time, the manager violently smacked a glass of water out of a worker's hand. It's a fucking glass of water. He also repeatedly verbally abused staff, calling them stupid for not understanding a poorly worded ticket order and harassing kitchen workers just for speaking Spanish. They speak Spanish. They should be able to speak Spanish. Fuck you. Why do you not want your kitchen staff communicating with each other? Yeah, this like, is this is even crazier than what I said. Instead of not understanding <laughs> that employees can talk to each other, he actively doesn't want it to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and at the same time that this is all happening, as he's just abusing the shit out of the, the back of the house workers, he's also treating the front of the house workers like trash. You have the wait staff at this place, unfortunately, unsurprisingly, facing a really strong culture of abuse, which, I mean, it's, it's a Hooters knockoff. I, 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 the, this is one of, those th- one of the things in this story, is I feel like these places shouldn't be allowed to exist. Just because I'm like, look... 
if you want to run a strip club, then you should have to run a strip club. And if you want to run a restaurant, you should have to run a restaurant because these sorts of places, and I'm not saying this from some sort of like moralist perspective, but purely from the fact that this sort of establishment seems like it purely exists to give managers and owners a sort of semi-legal smokescreen to do sexual harassment to their oh, staff. Absolutely. And and even if it doesn't exist purely for that, it inevitably attracts those guys. Right. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened here, where Kirkpatrick set up a system of pitting servers against each other based on his own personal ranking of their appearance, forcing them to compete to get the best section assignments and schedules. And when workers complained about physical harassment from customers, Kirkpatrick's response was not to, you know, kick out the abusive customers or put up a sign that's like, hey, don't harass the staff. He instead blamed the workers, saying, quote, Maybe if you weren't so flirty. That's the the victim blaming there. And then also, like, their servers, people in America will just stiff any fucking server because they didn't, like, literally do every single thing that they demanded in every single way. And sometimes we'll still stiff them even when they do. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, the customers, the, the clientele for restaurants like this are gonna be more inclined to be shitty and and like harassers so even if you wanted to run a place like this from a business perspective you would think you would prioritize preventing that but not this guy so uh workers marched on the boss to demand that the restaurant's owner fire kirkpatrick because of all this abuse but the owner refused and so two weeks ago on saturday january 14th workers on both sides of the restaurant had had enough and first 18 of the kitchen staff walked out on strike. And then two days later on Monday, 10 servers joined them. And so one waitress told reporters, quote, I couldn't stand by and keep working for somebody abusive. We'd frequently have days where Kirkpatrick berated multiple front of the house staff so harshly that they were moved to tears, end quote. Jesus. And so... The workers came together and united their demands. The top of their list, of course, is the removal of Kirkpatrick for creating a toxic work environment and essentially harassing everybody who works there. Additionally, they are also demanding that he be removed for stealing their tips and refusing to pay overtime. This is what a fucking piece of work this guy is. And uh, kitchen staff have also demanded that one of their workers who was unjustly fired get his job back and that managers stop policing when they can eat their goddamn lunch. And, and the servers, for their part, are demanding a safety training for restaurant staff in how to handle aggressive customers and deal with these, you know, folks who get handsy and abusive. Mm-hmm. Which is like, it it's insane that a business like this doesn't provide that in the first place Mm -hmm. again maybe because like it shouldn't be a restaurant i don't know yeah yeah i mean it's fucked up and so but the good part of this is the solidarity that has grown out of it elise riley who's a server at the restaurant told labor notes how they came together saying quote we never really made eye contact with the back of the house until this happened When we found out back of the house was on strike, everybody in the front of the house was communicating with each other saying, oh my gosh, we've been experiencing the same thing. Because back of the house was brave enough to stand up, it opened up this opportunity for all of us to share our stories and to unite, end quote. And that fucking rules. Like, this is the case of making the best out of a bad situation. 
It's workers coming together and just being like, hey, this shit sucks. And it's not going to stop sucking unless we actually do something to change it. And then in the additional hurdle of realizing that not only do all the kitchen staff share the same interests with each other, mm-hmm. but that they're also facing the same oppression as the servers and that it really, it's going to take all of them to make any sort of change. Like that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's great to see them standing up for themselves, especially in such a shitty situation. I mean, yeah, absolutely. This guy is the reason why re-education camps should exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, so the the workers are they're still determining the next steps of their strike, but they say that they're more united than ever. So Riley continued uh, in discussing with Labor Notes saying, quote, we're not fighting for just one position at the restaurant. We're fighting for everyone in there, everyone that's been there, everyone that's yet to come and making sure that all of us have a happy and safe experience because that is not what's been happening lately, end quote. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really great to see all of them standing up together, and uh, I hope that they get everything that they demand, and hopefully we'll see more and do a little follow-up on this at some point. But uh, speaking of follow-ups, let's move to our a quick little uh, victory segment for coffee workers throughout the country, uh, where we've got a, kind of just a quick list of of union victories a couple at starbucks and then another and then at another coffee place so on wednesday the 25th starbucks workers at the broadway and baseline location in boulder colorado won their union 13 to 2 on friday the 27th starbucks workers at the highway 99 and 185th street in shoreline near seattle won uh, their election 18 to 1 then on Saturday, uh, the 28th, Starbucks workers on Route 31 in Syracuse won 10 to 8. And then the uh, we've seen another union have a victory before this, but this was originally the second victory on the 23rd, the Monday the 23rd at La Colombe, which is at another coffee shop at the Gold Coast location in Chicago, where they became the second to join their Union, which is La Colombe, Workers United, which is associated with the UFCW. And then just today, January 30th, the time of recording, we saw a third location. And I think that there are two more locations that are planning to vote in the coming weeks. So it is really great to see them organizing. And once, and we'll probably do an actual, like, you know, story on the conditions there at some point in the future. But I just wanted to quick hit those before we got to the meme review, which we're at now. Just wanted to clarify. (laughs) That was a segue into the meme review, which is happening (laughs) now. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll start off with a combination of two classic memes, a no one wants to work anymore meme and a Futurama meme. So you have uh, Fry and Leela standing on the sidewalk, and it says under them, quote, no one wants to work anymore. And then you have Leela's parents, who are, of course, mutants, looking up from the sewer, and they are labeled record layoffs, Uh, which it's like, (laughs) maybe if you stopped firing people, we would work. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this happens every single year. There's always, like, a percentage that they just, you know, fire of many different companies, uh, whether it be because, oh, the seasonal hires are over or, you know, whatever other reason that tech companies constantly, like, just 
sever a ton of workers from their company. Happens every year. But yet somehow they were still like waiting for workers to get back to work at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's just fitting because of all the stuff that's going on in tech right now. Cause it's mm-hmm. like the tech stuff is just the most blatant. Oh no, we all decided to cut thousands of workers at the same time because of, uh, the economy. Yeah. And then you go look at all those companies' balance sheets. It's like, didn't you all just make like record profits? <laughs> Every year. I don't, I don't think it's the economy so much as your desire to discipline labor. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's that's a lot more to it. <laughs> but um, the next meme, I like this because this is one of the most accurate hacker memes I've ever seen. <laughs> so you've got... Uh, you got a guy whose who's computer is, he's at a computer, very aggressively typing, and it's helpfully labeled hacker with a sticker and a, and a circle A on the back of the monitor. And he's just like, I'm in. I hacked into the server. And then the next panel, moments earlier. And then it cuts to the person who he's hacking. He's just, it's this guy, older, older gentleman, sitting with a, a coffee mug at his desk, like, some guy over at IT needs my password. Sounds a little fishy. And then the last panel, wait a sec. I don't give a shit about this company. Sent. <laughs> <laughs> That's really how it fucking works. And, or it's either people not giving a shit or people just acting automatically. Like every so often you hear stories about like, this guy just started sending bills to Google. They didn't catch him for seven years. He had like $9 million in in bills that google just automatically (laughs) paid or whatever you know that happens from time to time and like at my company we all have to be logged into the same google account for me to look at the work schedule and so every so often my phone will just buzz in the middle of the night or something and it'll be like someone is trying to access this account is this you and i click yes every time (laughs) (laughs) that's right oh i love that i love that um, so the next one is a DeShare Zone meme with a skeleton looking at a phone with a bunch of cameras on the back of it. Why does a phone need four cameras? I'm not going to. No, let's not go there. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he's like kind of scrutinizing the phone. It says, say no to your boss, your you apostrophe R-E. And it's just, no, no. Sorry, partner. No, thanks. No, no sorry, can't. Uh uh, and then it says, you won't get fired. There's no one to replace you with. And you won't be rewarded if you say yes. And that is the truth. That's absolutely I, true. I also greatly appreciate the new language innovation. <laughs> or at least for me, it's an innovation that the shares have come up with, with the way to reject something by saying, Noah Bunga. Noah Bunga. Yeah. Maybe even follow it up with a dudes if you really want to be disrespectful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I only didn't read that one because like I was kind of reading quickly and I was like, "Ah, I can't read that really fast. (laughs) Now I want to do a a modified version of the like red eyed Ninja Turtles meme. And now it's Noah Bunga. It is. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of my favorite reasons uh, for following Alexander Edward, one of the minion death cult hosts, because when his work asks him to come in, he always says something real fucking sassy and then takes a photo of it. And posts it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing. That, frankly, like, look, unions, yes, they get you better wages. They get you better benefits. They, you know, build you uh, consciousness with the working class and potentially can be fighting organizations towards a better world. But most importantly, <laughs> they allow you to tell your boss to fuck off. Yeah. They allow you and to like, send texts that say absolutely fucking not. <laughs> 
See, is there yeah. anything at the end of the day more valuable than that? Yes, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I mean, that's the, that's the power of uh, of the collective, you know, that it give that it hands down to you as an individual. You know, the more rights for, you, right. for everyone, the more rights for you. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, on our next meme, we've got another from you know favorite of the show, cats with hard hats. Uh, this time we've got a a you know couple cats in a hard hat. One is just barely peeking out from behind the other one, who they are clearly hide- hiding behind. <laughs> and then it's captioned. Me covering for the new apprentice after safety caught him doing all the things I told him not to get caught doing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you gotta you gotta understand. I mean, like he's learning. You know, it's like it's tough. It's, it's a tough job. We're doing our best here. And honestly, it's kind of my fault. Let's just like sweep this one under the rug, okay, boss? It'll get better. Did you see He'll the- learn how to hide from the safety guy in time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Did you see the video on Twitter where the guy was like, safety trying to tell me I can't sharpen my chalk with an angle grinder? <laughs> and it's this guy like <laughs> explaining, and he just turns and starts sharpening his chalk with an angle grinder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> oh, man. That rocks. Then uh, we have this last kind of uh, vaporwave uh, themed one. You know, it's got the the weird eighties uh, sun in the in, which is actually I don't know. Uh, it's got the the space stars thing and the grid pattern, and uh, it's my two uh, meet my last two brain cells: radical kindness and absolute tomfoolery. And these are just like. <laughs> Like little like lizard creatures with weapons. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, they're like yeah. kobolds or something. That, that's what yeah. I was thinking. I think they're kobolds, but either way, they're 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 in that weird liminal space where they're both kind of gross and also adorable. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah, it's like absolutely. it's like Lisa Frank presents Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this would make for an excellent trapper keeper cover. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> oh hell yeah. I mean when I was a kid I printed out a low res image of a Blastoise card on an eight by eleven sheet of paper. So this is way ahead of where I was at. <laughs> Kids today just have great resources. It's they just really that's a fact. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap for this episode. We want to uh, thank you all for listening and, you know, share the show with your friends and family to get them interested in labor organizing and such. If you'd like to support us as an entirely listener-supported podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage. It's $5 a month, and then you get access to all of our overtime episodes, and we're doing our Unions in the Mob Reputation versus Reality series, and everybody's loving it. it. I mean, we're loving it. Everybody who listens to it says it's fucking amazing. Become a patron and get access to that. Jump in the Discord and come hang out with us. Learn about more of the news, including things that don't make it into the show. Write us a review somewhere. Follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. We stand together. We win together. Come on!
how 